everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today it's episode 50 plus four year anniversary. Plus we're also talking about vocalizing. There's lots. There's lots of things going on. We're very excited. <laughs> plus a story from our favorite storyteller, Ashley. Woo-hoo! So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. everybody four years of this podcast that's Mm -hmm. amazing i know it's a little crazy yeah Yeah. and we've done more than 50 episodes Mm -hmm. but this is our 50th regular episode that doesn't include mailbags um, mailbags mailbags and specials and and that sort of thing so to all of our listeners new and older thank you for being here with us if you've been here since the original first episode wow yeah (laughs) Yep. Wow. You might be related to one of us. You might. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, and for everyone who's joined us along the way, thank you so much. This is yeah. really, really, really cool. <laughs> yes. Oh. Very delightful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, for no real reason. It doesn't tie to, there's no tie. There's no tie to our celebrations in any way. We decided that for our episode today, we're going to talk about cetacean vocalizations. Now, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that we have talked about specific vocal things that cetaceans do, whether as we had an episode about echolocation, we've talked specifically when it comes to orcas about the various dialects that they use. We've done an episode on humpback whale songs and included some of the other baleen whales that also sing. But we wanted to really kind of bring it back to the basics today and just talk about vocalization amongst all cetaceans and especially how it all works. So thinking about it from from a really conceptual level to start with, whales use a variety of sounds for communication and orientation. The mechanisms used to produce these sounds vary between toothed whales and baleen whales. More on that later. But the reason why sound is so important to cetaceans is one that when I think too hard about this, I'm curious if this happens to you too as well. When I think too hard about this, it makes my brain hurt. Because I think it's all well and good to sort of peripherally understand that the world in which any marine animal lives is very, very different from the world in which we live. And of course that's true. Like there's weightlessness in the water, a a different sense of weight and gravity in the water. The fact that light doesn't travel as far And colors are different, even if you had the same eyes as humans have, which most animals, of course, don't. So sight is less effective. You you can smell. This is a weird thing. Like, obviously, human noses can't smell underwater because you would breathe water in and that wouldn't work so well. Um, But marine animals do have the opportunity to smell, but molecules diffuse more slowly in water. So smell is, is not a great sense underwater. And sound is so much better underwater. Like, so, so, so much better. The speed of sound is about four times greater in water than it is at sea level. So it just travels further and the sort of clarity of sound lasts longer. 
And when I really, really start thinking about all of that all at once, my brain hurts because it just reminds me of how very, very, very different life must be for any creature that lives in the ocean. And we, I don't know if we will ever fully comprehend that. No. no. And it, yeah, it's like an alien planet, mm -hmm. but just it's here. like right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like literally right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, crazy. So, yeah, it's hard to, like, relate or understand exactly, like, we can hear and or represent their vocals, but, like, that's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the same yeah. with, like, bees and all the colors that they see mm -hmm. and, and all of that stuff. And, like, yeah, it's just, we have no idea what it's actually like for them. We're just relating it back to us. Yeah, doing um, our best. Mm -hmm. So... Some things we do know, regardless of uh, how weird it is. Um, cetaceans have a, have complex acoustic repertoires comprising of several major types of vocalizations from communication, navigation, foraging for prey, group cohesion, and avoiding predators. They rely heavily on sound for all major life functions as acoustic energy propagates in water more efficiently than any other form of energy, which is a fancier way of saying what Nicole said earlier is that sound sound is good. Good sound down there. <laughs> good sound underwater. Sound good. Good sound down good there. Sound. <laughs> so similar to like us with using our eyeballs and our and also our means of communication, they use what works best for them, and for that, it's sound. I just thought for the very first time in my entire life because of the way you phrased that lens mm. about how you know we can like raise our eyebrows to communicate so many different things to something and now i'm wondering if there's ways that sound can communicate mm. that kind of level like, of something i mean i would think so because like even just with sound the way that you can communicate like that nuance of like sure or like oh sure yeah totally yeah it's just one of those things that it would be specific to like not yeah. even species but obviously individuals of like yeah we all know absolutely what how we say things it's indicates a tone and the more you know the person you the more you understand the meaning behind the word exactly yeah, yeah. and you know lots of whales and um cetacean, like lots of cetaceans have that like complex social structure mm -hmm. too so like communication is even more complex which i think is what we're going to get into um so all toothed whales and in toothed whales we include dolphins and porpoises as well because they are toothed whales just like separate groups yes. of them um so the all toothed whales produce clicks for echolocation and then most of them can also make some like tonal whistles for communication uh baleen whales on the other hand generate super complex repetitive geographically distinct songs and calls different things that they use for breeding and or that are associated with breeding and feeding behaviors way 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 more is known about toothed whale sound production and their propagation reception and the biological function than it is of baleen whales part mainly because toothed whales in general are better studied um overall than yeah. baleen whales yeah and i think we've talked about a lot of like the amount of studies done on bottlenose dolphins in captivity in the last yeah exactly and you can years. extrapolate a lot of that mm -hmm. learning to all toothed whales versus, yeah. versus baleen whales make vocalizations in completely different yes ways so it's like less well understood 
a lot harder to study alien myths. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Both even now and historically. Yes, (laughs) for all time. So how does this actually work? We'll talk about the odontocetes or the toothed whales because that's the one that we do understand the best. How is sound actually produced? So the skull of a toothed whale, uh, if you... This for those of you who are visual learners while you're listening to us, I encourage you to just search for a picture of toothed whale vocal production because I do definitely think visuals help a lot here. But if you imagine the skull of a dolphin, let's say, or any toothed whale, porpoises, other toothed whales as well, um, the jaw bones extend from sort of the forehead or melon region, which goes up to their blowhole, all the way forward to the end of their rostrum. Lots of people think it's their nose, but it's not. And then the lower jaw goes all the way back to where sort of you would imagine your ear is going. And you can follow this on your own. It's, it's, I mean, they're mammals. We all evolved from the same sort of creature. And so structurally, there's a lot of similarities there. So ultimately, what's going on is the tooth whales produce rapid bursts of high frequency clicks by pushing air through a network of air passages that runs from the upper roof of their mouth past the back of an organ called the anterior bursa all the way up to their blowhole. So this is the thing that I think is most fundamentally different about where sound comes from in toothed whales as opposed to where we think sound comes from in certainly ourselves in humans and I would argue that sort of mammalian idea that most sounds come from mouths you know you think of a lion roaring it's coming from their mouth you think of a snake hissing not a mammal but an animal like a snake hissing that's coming from its mouth we assume as humans who are very sort of centrally focused that sounds come from mouths not in any way the case with cetaceans. So the multiple types of sounds that toothed whales are making are produced by passing this air through the structure called the phonic lips. Uh, This is a analogous structure to our nasal cavity in humans because again if you think about what a blowhole is to a cetacean it is their nose it's just on the top of their head. But the phonic lips in a toothed whale's nasal cavity, if you want to say, or a blowhole cavity, act very similarly to human vocal cords. So our vocal cords are in our throat, in the larynx. The air passes through that phonic lip system in dolphins and porpoises and toothed whales, and the phonic lip membranes are then sucked together, causing all of the surrounding tissues to vibrate, and the vibration as with the vibrations in our larynx, is what controls the sound. As the vibration passes through the tissues and then into the melon, so if you think about echolocation being sort of sonar sound versus vocalizations being audible sound, that's not a perfect analogy, but it's what we're going to go with here. So echolocation, we can't hear. Dolphins and other toothed whales can, but it's not meant to be like a communicative audible sound. 
whereas whistles and other kind of pulse sounds, those are those are meant to be audible, at least from what we think. Anyways, the difference in terms of where that sound exits the dolphin's body is whether it comes from the blowhole, which is the case for audible sounds. So for whistles, that sound is through the phonic lips and then the vibrations push the air out the blowhole. But for echolocation, the air passes through the phonic lips and then gets funneled into the melon. So like the forehead of the animals, the melon structure filters the sound and really narrows it in. And then that vibration travels out through the melon and there's not like a hole that it comes out of. It just, it's very telepathic sounding. Yeah, no, it's just like, got Star Trek on the mind. So I was like, right, they're they're the (laughs) X-Men. The dolphins are. It's very much Professor X just sitting there Mm -hmm. in his wheelchair, like touching his forehead. Um, and that's the biggest difference is that the echolocation sounds that tooth whales produce, they do get filtered through the melon, but ultimately the vibrations that create that sort of like that sound that is then filtered by the melon is still coming from the phonic lips is still coming from the nasal cavity or the blowhole cavity of the tooth whales. I think that's quite enough. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot. And even for me and I know how this works. Yes. So, Lindsay, tell us about how baleen whales make noise. So, mysticetes, or baleen whales, as we know them normally, uh, don't have a phonic loop structure. Instead, they have a larynx, similar to us, which appears to play a role in sound production, but it lacks vocal cords. And scientists are not really sure yet as to the exact mechanism of how this all works. The process cannot be completely analogous to humans, like how we how we create vocals with our larynx, uh, because whales do not have to exhale in order to produce sound, which is something that we do, unless you are fancy opera singers, I think. Um, it's, but you're either inhaling or exhaling. Yes, air is involved yeah. at some point. Um, but for whales, it's likely that they recycle the air throughout their body for that purpose, which is really cool. Um, cranial sinuses may also be used to create the sounds. And again, researchers don't really know how yet, and we can't ask them correct so <laughs> it's hard but it wouldn't make sense that they don't need to breathe there because they're very well known for making the sound underwater when they're not doing that yeah breathing thing so crazy um okay so let's talk about why they make vocals uh so cetaceans produce a variety of tonal and pulsed calls for underwater communication uh to understand what the function of all of these sounds are, they have to, it's like a complicated thing to research because scientists have to figure out, first of all, which animal is producing the sound, how animals nearby or because they're underwater, not even that nearby, um, respond to it when they hear it and the context under what, under which that signal is being produced. Um, and then also the specific structure of the signal and like how far it can travel and other propagation um, characteristics of the of the sound are also important to understand it. So they need to have like a really detailed picture of what the sound like sounds like, or if it's a frequency that we can't hear um, looks like, and then also the behaviors and situation in the context of this sound. So like a lot of things need to be studied. Um, but scientists, because they have been studying this for a long time and are very smart and have had access to 
centuries of field observations and also experiments with captive animals, they have found that the kinds of social bonds between individuals in a group will correlate with different kinds of communication signals. So individual specific vocalizations, so like a vocalization that one in one specific individual does that is distinct from its compatriots, um, is used by species with strong individual social bonds like bottlenose dolphins, um, probably uh, like southern resident killer whales, strongly social individual um, vocalizations. And then there's group specific vocalizations that are used by social species with stable groups, such as killer whale pods, sperm whale clans, short fin pilot whale pods in Hawaii. Also, there's nothing to say that like one species or one individual couldn't have all of these kinds of vocalizations as well. Um, and then population-specific vocalizations are used by species that don't have either long-term social bonds or stable groups. For example, humpback whale song, which is associated with mating, is similar within an ocean basin, but differs between ocean basins and also changes over time, mm -hmm. which we have talked about on the podcast. Yeah. So there are three main types of sound made by whales, and they are quicks, whistles, and pulses. Quicks are believed to be for navigation and identifying physical surroundings. When the sound waves bounce off an object, they return to the whale, allowing the whale to identify the shape of the object. This is the echolocation laser beams that we were talking about earlier. Sorry, vibration beams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Quicks can uh, even help to differentiate between friendly creatures and predators, and they've been observed during social interactions, suggesting that they may have a communication function, which could be like a thing of, I don't know, there's all sorts of cues that we don't know are like, that are in these social bonds of like, maybe I echolocated on you and you seem tense today. I don't know. That could be a thing. Anyway, um, whistled and pulse calls are used during social activities as well. Pulse calls are more frequent and sound like squeaks, screams, and squawks to the human ear. Differing vocal dialects have been found to exist between different pods within the same whale population. This is, sim this is most likely so whales can differentiate between whales within their pods and strangers. And that is known, and I think in a couple of different things, but probably the most well-known here would be the residents, southern residents in the bigs. Uh, they don't talk to each other. They already know that they are completely different animals, even though this taxonomy doesn't say so. Um, and the and their other animals surrounding them also know. So that's a strong evidence between of different kinds of vocalizations between the same kind of species is um, their prey recognize their calls uh, and know whether or not those big triangle fins are friendly or not short version of what we've spent 20 minutes talking about <laughs> sound good whales good at sound the end the end. Not, if you'd like to learn more. no no, no. <laughs> um, if you would like to learn more about the different types of vocalizations that all cetaceans can produce we will have a couple of links in the show notes one in particular is from what is the acronym stand for here? I forget. Oh, discovery of sound in the sea. So dot sits is, I was trying to remember what that acronym was. It's a fabulous website. Really, really amazing website that talks all about the science of sound underwater. 
all animals and sound. So there's obviously a huge section on cetaceans, which is the specific link that we'll have in our show notes here. But they've got... If you want to go down a rabbit hole about how cool sound is, and this is, I think, why my brain was really like, I don't understand life in the water, because I went on this rabbit hole. It's like how all animals use sound in the ocean, the impacts of all of the different ways that people make sounds on the water, including like studying weather and the sound like so it's not just you know shipping traffic which is obviously obviously the big one that we talk about but it's crazy this website is amazing i spent more than two hours on it (laughs) so (laughs) enjoy that Uh, and particular to cetaceans it does give some more information about you know the specifics of cetaceans that create whistles and how they do that and what whistles have been seen to mean in different cetaceans the difference between click-based communication and then how deep water communication works in cetaceans and even a little bit about burst pulsed sounds. So it's really, really cool. Enjoy. And then just as a, we always like to throw out a random reference here and there. I could not get a hold of this book, but I saw this book referenced many times in the research I was doing for the podcast episode today. And so this is my call out to any of you with scientific library access, like real physical scientific library access, because I don't have that anymore in my life and I'm sad. Uh, And my local library doesn't carry this book, (laughs) which I'm about to tell you the name. And uh, that might explain why my local sort of like family suburb, suburban library doesn't carry the neuroendocrine regulation of animal vocalization, colon, mechanisms and anthropogenic factors in animal communication published in 2021. (laughs) Even the Vancouver Public Library System doesn't have this book uh so if you can find it it they have a whole chapter specifically on cetacean vocalization and it seemed like a long chapter from what i could tell from references but i couldn't read it and i'm sad so that's my my call to action reference for our listeners somebody please find me that book and tell me how awesome it is Um, so before we go any further, we wanted to talk a little bit about how you can support the podcast and everything we do at Whale Tales besides hunting down obscure books (laughs) for Nicole. Please do. That's all I ever want in life. Uh, you can join us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash whaletales. You can join us for a dollar a month at the porpoise level, $5 a month at the dolphin level, or $10 a month at the whale level. Each level comes with a variety of perks, including the ability to vote in polls, which we're going to get to because we just had a poll. Thank you, patrons. Uh, We can send you thank you postcards. You can have extended interview access or extra stories from guests that we have on the podcast. Uh, At the whale level, you can produce your own fun flipper fact segment. So the weirder and crazier questions that you've had that you really, really want me to full deep dive into, become a whale level patron and I will do it for you. Uh, And our whale level patrons also get access to a special Patreon only podcast we do called Whale Tales Watches. This is where the three of us watch a film that 
maybe really has something to do with the ocean or maybe just peripherally has something <laughs> to do with the ocean. And then we talk about it and we talk about what science they got right in the movie and what science they got wrong. Uh, it's a little more loosey-goosey than these podcast episodes. Uh, a little bit more kind of a look into our feelings about movies <laughs> and actors and things. Our latest episode was we watched Zeus and Roxanne, the 90s movie about a dog who falls in love with a dolphin. Uh, fall in love. We fell in love. They have not really like love love. Becomes best friends. Not romantic love. Companion love. Yes. And in it, we fell in love with, uh, I can't remember his name now. Steve Gutenberg's arms. (laughs) It's a good time. (laughs) We have a very, very exciting whale tail watch coming up next month. Hearing things in the ocean. Yes. Yes. You will not want to miss it. So become whale level patron today. <laughs> uh thank you so much to all of our patrons. You are amazing and we are so happy that you're here to support us and continue to support us for these four years. If you aren't able to support us financially, there's still lots of other things you can do to support the podcast and everything we're doing at Whale Tales. You can leave us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This will help other people find the podcast, and you can also just tell people that you know who like cetaceans and science and podcasts about the podcast and all the other stuff that we do at Whale Tales so that they can listen along too. You can also follow us on social media at whaletales underscore org. Plus, you can send us your feedback so that we can keep making the podcast even better we love feedback please tell us what we can do to bring even more amazing wellness to your ears speaking of bringing wellness to your ears and vocalizing there is a theme to this episode you know because it even ties to our next whale tales watch do you know what time it is i do know what time it is do you know what time it is maybe they don't it's time for Fun Flipper Fact, yeah, Fun Flipper Fact, yeah, it's time for a Fun Flipper Fact. Wasn't sure if you were going to go with the theme music for the Fun Flipper Fact, the specific Fun Flipper Fact theme music. No, I didn't, because I can't sing it. Uh, so today's Fun Flipper Fact is about the world's loneliest whale. No. This is in quotation marks. I say this in quotation marks because, in fact, the fun flipper fact that I'm hoping to drop for you all today, uh, first of all, is introducing you, if you've never heard of, to the whale Blue 52. Sorry. I'm singing it all day. Oh, amazing. <clears throat> but I'm also going to possibly, if you're aware of Blue 52, I am also going to myth bust the fact that Blue 52 is colloquially known as the loneliest whale. So first, who is Blue 52? Thank you for asking, past Nicole of 10 (laughs) seconds ago. Blue 52 is a whale of, technically speaking, unknown species. So it's widely believed that this is a blue whale or some kind of blue whale hybrid, like a blue whale fin whale situation. But truth be told, we don't actually know what species of whale Blue 52 is because no one's ever seen it. Well, that's not true. We may have seen it, but not identified it as Blue 52. Yes. Correct. 
Wouldn't it be funny if it's like the world's most photographed whale that no one has any <laughs> idea that it's also one of the famous like sounds that a whale makes? And it's because the reason Blue 52 is, you know, famous for a whale is because in 1989, so this is an old animal because we are still picking up its vocalizations today. In 1989, a team from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution heard a particularly unusual whale call. It was unlike anything that had been heard before, and it was specifically because the call was being made at 52 hertz, so a frequency much, much higher than any whale species is known to follow when it vocalizes. The movements of the whale from a migratory species, because what's really, really cool about the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution is that they have hydrophones all over the ocean like they 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 i mean they're not always theirs but they they share access to these hydrophones and so they can track this 52 hertz call all across the pacific ocean and they were seeing that the movement that it had in terms of like which, which hydrophones the sounds were being picked up on was movement similar to a blue whale but blue whales have a frequency of sound that they produce between 10 and 39 hertz, with the most dominant frequencies happening at 16 to 28 hertz. So 52 hertz is really, really high. And for a very long time, these calls kept being heard. As I said, they're still being tracked today, but no one has been able to hear the call and see the whale at the same time. So, and because the frequency is so much higher than blue whales or fin whales, which vocalize around 20 hertz, we think that's the kind of whale it is. But again, we don't know the actual photograph of the whale because no one's ever seen it and been able to get the vocalizations at the same time. Now, why did people think this was the loneliest whale? Well, because no other whale vocalizes at that frequency... It was thought that poor Blue 52 is just swimming around and has been since, well, probably before 1989, but certainly has been vocalizing in a way that we have been able to track since 1989, just looking for friends, just kind of calling out, being like, hey, you, hey, you guys, <laughs> just really, really just looking for, but the truth is, I mean, as, as anthropomorphic as that is, and you know, there's been, there was a Twitter account made, a Twitter parody account made for, for Blue 52. There was a mockumentary online, I think it was on YouTube, The World's Loneliest Whale. BTS, the Korean group, made a song, Whale 52, all about Blue 52. Um, but all of that idea that it doesn't have any friends, that it's just calling out there, it's super anthropomorphic and it's it's fundamentally misunderstanding two things. That assumption is misunderstanding two things. Number one, it's misunderstanding why whales vocalize. So yes, humpbacks and some blues and fins and some other baleen whales do vocalize, we think, really, really big focus on the think there, that they sing songs in order to have some kind of impact on sexual selection so that the songs that humpback whales sing have something to do with mating preference. We don't actually know that, though. 
And the truth is, as we've kind of talked about earlier in the episode, whales vocalize, including baleen whales, for a whole host of reasons, most of which we don't understand, and who knows if we're ever going to be able to understand. And the other, and this is the really, really critical part, and I'm actually just going to quote Christopher Clark, the director of bioacoustics research at Cornell, who's one of the people analyzing the studies from the Woods Oceanographic Institution, because his quote I found here is fantastic. The animals singing with a lot of the same features of a typical blue whale song. So this was a quote taken from Clark in 2015. Blue whales, fin whales, and humpback whales, they all sing these same sorts of songs. All of the whales can hear this guy, though. They're not deaf. He's just odd. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that quote. It's perfect. Yeah. Because that's the truth. So everyone for years and years and years and years and years was so focused on the fact that this whale was vocalizing at a frequency that's so much higher than the typical vocalizations for these species. But what wasn't coming up frequently in conversation was all of these whales can hear at the frequency that Blue Mm -hmm. 52 is vocalizing. (laughs) So even though his, we, again, this is an anthropomorphic element. We don't know the sex of this whale. So even though it is vocalizing at a higher frequency, it's the equivalent of a person you know that just talks in a much higher voice than you are used to hearing. Mm-hmm. And that may, and that voice maybe doesn't make you want to mate with it. Yeah, maybe. But maybe not. Maybe who not. Knows? Maybe who knows? Some other whale out there is really attracted to the oddness. We have no way of knowing. So that's my fun flipper fact. First fun flipper fact element, there's a whale called Blue 52. It it vocalizes at a really, really high frequency. That's pretty cool. But second debunked element of the fun flipper fact, it is very likely not the world's loneliest whales because Mm. all the other whales can hear it. Hooray! Yeah. I mean... There's nothing saying that this whale doesn't vocalize at 52 mm-hmm. hertz and also at normal yeah. frequencies. <laughs> there's right? also true Yeah, there's also nothing saying that it isn't mating with other animals. Like Exactly. Yeah. Like we don't know what animal it is. We songs are important to attract mates in certain cetacean species, but it might not be everything and it, it might still work. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not lonely. The Blue whales are t- solitary creatures. Exactly. There's that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's that whole element too that like actually blue whales just seem to really like being alone. All blue whales are alone. But they have to be. They're too big. If they all got together, they would take over the world. Yeah. And weirdos make friends too. Like, hello, yeah. have you met us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at us. So that's my fun flipper fact. And thank you to our patrons who voted for today's Fun Flipper Fact. Uh, We had a vote over on our Patreon and gave a whole bunch of different options for what the Fun Flipper Fact would be about vocalizations. And 60% wanted to know more about Blue 52. So I hope you enjoyed. Nice. Okay, I'll stop now, maybe. (laughs) song is so effing catchy. So catchy. Um, Okay. Now it's time for a whale tale. Hooray. Uh, As I said at the top, we have another exciting story from our favorite storyteller, Ashley, 
This one comes from last year, I believe, in Silverbank. And it's about vocals, shockingly. Hi, my name is Ashley. And I'm going to share a story with you guys about a humpback whale singing on the Silverbank. So in February, I headed to Silverbank to go snorkeling with humpback whales. And on one particular day, um, the conditions were absolutely glassy, glassy, glassy calm seas. And um, we had headed out. We were searching for whales. And um, we were having a, a tough time finding some, um, doing lots of searching. And at one point, um, the guide um, threw a hydrophone in the water. We just kind of paused and he threw a hydrophone in the water. And uh, it was really interesting because, you know, he, we're hearing all sorts of humpback singing and um, they sound loud to me. Um, and his first comment was, oh, they're all so far away, which was really remarkable to me because, you know, here in the Salish Sea, when we throw the hydrophone down for, um, for orca, we rarely get the chance to do it for humpbacks. But um, when we do it for orca, um, the sound level that he had um, for those humpbacks was very similar. And for, for the sound level, it sort of was what we would expect when the orca are really close by. Um, so it was just really interesting um, to think how much further um, and louder um, humpback vocals are um, or that you can hear them from and it still sounds loud. So we pulled up the hydrophone and he got wind from uh, one of our other boats out there that um, they had a singer close by. Um, and so we made our way over to that animal and because the conditions were so, so glassy, um, absolutely perfect conditions for recording vocals, um, we stopped and we, you know, did some, uh, he threw the hydrophone in again and we, we did some vocal recordings for a while, um, because there aren't that many, uh, opportunities when you're that far <laughs> out into the ocean. Um, to get those flat, calm, pristine days to get, um, you know, vocals that don't have other other sounds that can contaminate the vocals. Um, so, you know, as much as we wanted to get into the water right away and, and um, go see if we could find this whale, um, it was really cool to kind of be there. And, and on a day like that where um, a vocal could be recorded um, that was so... Um, so clear and crystal and um so after being on the boat for a while and um and getting to you know rec do little recordings at the surface and or throwing our um not throwing but <laughs> dipping our gopros over the side of the boat um to to get those vocals like obviously the whale wasn't right beside us at that point but um you know, dipping our GoPros in the water to record some of those audio um, audios was pretty cool too. And then um, we were given the opportunity to uh, slip into the water and see if we could pick up that whale and see if we could um, find it while it was still singing. So we slipped into the, the water and 
kind of started to make our way in the direction of that animal. And we were lucky enough to be able to spot it uh, while it was still singing. Um, and slowly, as we approached, um, we got a, a quick glimpse of that animal. Um, my GoPro footage isn't the greatest, but uh, it's really cool that um, we had the opportunity to be in the water at the same time and, and see the singer below us as well. Um, it was pretty magical. One of my uh, favorite moments, for sure. Um, you know, I always love to hear uh, whales vocalizing. Um, I mean, even whales just breathing at the surface is one of my favorite sounds in the world. Um, but when you get to hear them um, sing and humpbacks when they're singing, um, you know, it's squawks and grunts and squeaks and all sorts of different noises that, you know, sometimes remind you of other animals, um, which is really cool. Um, but uh, it's amazing to hear these guys um, vocalize the way that they do, um, and how, how far those sounds can really travel. Like we were, when we were recording, you know, we were close-ish to the whale, but not right beside it or right on top of it. And, uh, hearing, hearing how strong, like we could hear those vocals significantly, like loudly through the hull without the hydrophone we at one point had even turned the hydrophone um like the at least the speaker to the hydrophone um off just so we could hear um to see if we could hear it through the hull of the the vessel as well which it was incredible it was so clear through the hull of the boat um yeah so that's my that's my story of a humpback whale singing on the silver bank um yeah I hum, humpback singing, orcas vocalizing. Um, I those are the only two cetaceans that I've had the privilege of hearing in in my life so far. And um, oh, actually, sperm whale once as well, but just you know the clicking of of the sperm whale. But uh, yeah, I mean, magical. No matter how you look at it, hearing these big beautiful animals um, vocalizing is uh, is pretty magical so that's my story thanks so much guys ashley i'm so jealous Yay. oh thank you so much ashley for sharing so before we head out for this episode we wanted to wish you all a very happy earth day mm -hmm. uh, if you're listening to this when it came when the podcast comes out earth day was last saturday uh it is in the future for us as we, was rec we are recording um because that's how podcast production works um but yeah, happy Earth Day. Uh, and I figured I'd share a little bit about where Earth Day came from. So Earth Day was founded in, uh, so Earth Day started in the United States in 1970. There was a senator from Wisconsin who decided that he really wanted, he was inspired by um, student anti-war uh, protests and movement. And so we wanted to sort of keep that energy and direct um people and focus that energy into supporting the environment. And so they started Earth Day in um, April 22nd, 1970. And they chose that time of year because it's between for the students that they were trying to um, recruit or inspire. Uh, it was between spring break and finals. So it was like a good time for students to 
do stuff and also mm. they could be outside and since then it um has spread to 190 plus countries and over a billion individuals are involved in doing something for earth day so um if you celebrated and did something amazing for earth day or even if it was just low-key celebration um maybe tell us about it you can tag us on instagram use the hashtag um tales of saving whales or you can just tag whaletales underscore org and tell us about how you Looked after the earth, looked after the earth and the ocean and the whales. On yeah, earth. yeah, or any day. Love hearing those stories because every day is Earth Day. Mm-hmm. P.S. <laughs> I think we. I think that's it. I think, I think that's so. all we have to say about vocalizations and whales and stories and the Earth today. So. We would love to hear your thoughts on this episode, or any episode, of course. Please visit our website, whale-tales.org, and find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line. You can also head to our website to subscribe to the podcast, learn about supporting us and becoming a patron, and while you're there, read over 1,200 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the stories, not tales like the animal. And don't forget, if you've seen a cetacean, we would love to add your story to our library. Click on the share link on the website. You can contact us on social media, whaletales underscore org on Instagram. Or you can email us a voice memo like Ashley and tell us all about your incredible cetacean encounter. Finally, we want to acknowledge that we recorded today's episode on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples and the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, as well as the homelands of the Tawasan First Nation. Thank you, everyone, so, so much for 50 episodes for four years. We hope you have a whaley great day. <laughs>